I'm ready when you are. You can feel the country's on the knife edge. It's only, what, 30 minutes late starting? Let's do this! <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. You are in retreat. We're not rioting yet. I don't like that question. You're just saying shit and you don't even know what you're talking about. That spider game sounds way cooler than manta rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. You, you, you need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they ever went out and recruited one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. Well then. Let's start the show. Well, hello, Brad fans. Welcome back for another episode. And a rather special episode at that because... We're joined by a brand new host, a guest Brad, if you will. Regular Brad couldn't make it, British Brad couldn't make it. Uh, but I said, well, we'll let the listeners decide whether it's uh, he's up to the task of equally replacing the other Brad. I'm joined today by my good friend, Robbie Shures. Robbie, how's it going, man? Hey, good, Brad. Good, good. How are you doing? Doing great, dude. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah, I got to tell you, though, I'm a little nervous coming in here. Uh, first and foremost, getting started on a bad foot by my name not being Brad. So uh, <laughs> I just, just kind of want to ask for a little leniency from your audience here. To, <laughs> just give me some time to prove myself here. I think we really kind of backed ourselves into a corner by naming the show to Brad for you and really kind of centralizing the identity of the show around the names. Because, yeah, like now when we want to have, you know, guests come on, even a guest like yourself with professional radio experience... <laughs> yeah, we've kind of shoehorned ourselves in here, but we'll let uh, we'll let the listeners decide whether they'll forgive you or not. They can they can hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, good point. Also, is it like when you meet other Brads around the world? Is that the first thing that comes to your mind? Is like, can this guy cut it on to Brad for you? <laughs> I'm constantly on the search for other Brads, <laughs> and so British Brad, if you're listening, you are replaceable. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but well. I think you'll do fine because, like I said, you do have professional radio experience, and I want to shout that out a little bit. Because what was what, what? Let's. Do you remember the old call sign of the station you were on? What was it? Saskatoon. Was it Saskatoon? Uh, Saskatoon is where I went to school at WABC, yeah. and I can't tell you how much I got in trouble for never pronouncing my W's properly. So it's like a firm W, where my professor yeah. would cut me off every time when I'm like WABC. He's like, no. Double U. I'm like, man, this guy's <laughs> this guy's killing me here. W A B C. Yeah. So if there's one thing I took from that, it's how to say my W's. Mm, sounds real good. Yeah. And then uh, we jumped over to a complete country station in High River doing Sun Country. Ninety nine seven <laughs> Sun Country. <laughs> nice. Still got it. Still got it. <laughs> You've been you've been out of the biz for a little while, but you still got it. Yeah, it's uh, this is the the Rob Michaels comeback tour, if you will. Oh right, that was your that was your stage name, Rob Michaels. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get to pick that? Um, 
What? How did it go? So when I was in school, like no one can say my last name. It's Schurz. Actually, yeah. you being a German, they could all probably say it over there. But I yeah. say sure is really fast. That's the trick yeah. I tell Schurz. everyone. Yeah, sure is. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that doesn't translate well over the radio. So, so in college, my nickname was Crunch. Rob Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course, coming to school, not one person would let me have that on the actual airwaves. <laughs> so, so I had to go from Rob Crunch to Rob Michaels, which was my middle name, and uh, seemed like a pretty easy uh, transition. Okay, yeah, because I was gonna say, like, I know that you're, I know that you're a big fan of Shawn Michaels, <laughs> yeah, and that you want that. Maybe we'll have a drop of that theme song in for you right now. So I thought that maybe you selected it, but it's your middle name, so yeah. No, it was my dream though to have that kind of play me into a radio show <laughs> one day. So if you could make that happen, that'd be amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, cool, man. Uh, we got the introduction out of the way. We got the history. I think, I think the listeners will enjoy enjoy your takes and the way that you pronounce your W's. Maybe, maybe it's going to be too much for them, two Canadian accents in one show. And I have been told that, you know, I've been living abroad for a while now. I've been told by some German friends that when the Canadians, when I have Canadian friends come visit and we get talking about sports, especially hockey, our favorite sport, Oof. that my Canadian really comes out. And I start Just dropping all excited. the... I get too excited and be, oh, yeah there, bud. You know it, bud. Here we go. And uh, it's fitting then that we decided to do a, an, an episode dedicated to sports. This is the sports show. This is the two Brad for you, guest Brad, Robbie Shures, a.k.a. Rob Michaels, sports extravaganza. I think I'm cute. I know I'm sexy. I've got the look. Yeah, you can also throw in Rob Crunch there. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot I Rob Crunch. <laughs> Robbie Crunch, sports show. <laughs> so what we'll do, it's, it's appropriate too because the Stanley Cup finals are happening, what, Tuesday? Tuesday they start after the weekend? Yeah. Which game I, one of the Stanley Cup. I do have some beef about how long it's taken from the end of round three to the Stanley Cup finals. Mm, mm. Uh, a, a full seven days seems, yeah. seems ridiculous for me, but no, it's, we are in the Stanley kind of Cup BS. finals. Yeah. It sounds like that's that that really feels like something the NBA would do. Right. And have you been following the yeah. NBA? Yeah, man, Toronto Raptors. Got to support the the one Canadian club. And um I, you know, I was really skeptical when they came up against Milwaukee, especially when they dropped the first two games at home. I was a little worried, but uh you know, and even at game 3 when they won in double overtime, I was like, okay, if if they have to go to double overtime just to beat this team. But then they had a big win in game four and evened it up. And I think game six is tonight Yep, back in Toronto. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I'm definitely very excited about that. I mean, Golden State is going to be a real tough challenge. But, hey, if, if Toronto Raptors, the only remaining franchise in Canada, makes it to its first ever finals, that'll be big. Big for Canada. And Huge. big for Canadian basketball. Huge. And Toronto did beat Golden State both times they played them this year. I'm just going to oh, throw really? that out there. Yeah, and one Kawhi wasn't Ooh. even playing. So 
Ooh. There's a little hope for you uh, basketball fans. There's some there's some precedent. Yeah. Oh, nice. All right. Well, that's good. I mean, man, we, we might have to make this a regular a regular edition of the show, uh, and we we can just or we do or we spin this off and do our own sports podcast, where you where the name Brad is not required. <laughs> yeah. It would help me get my foot in the door a little easier. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> but I guess you know, the listeners come here. I guess for a little bit of science i'm assuming it's the other thing we've kind of shoehorned ourselves into is this uh have being somewhat of a science show so i did a little research on the the psychology i guess of of sports fandom i mean it's you see it's in sports you know you get us talking about it we'll go off we can argue about our favorite teams which i'm sure will come up very shortly because I wanted to, I wanted to look into like why are people so loyal, and why are we, you know, why do we cheer for a team that is terrible, or you know, the, the reality is only one team wins every year, so you're usually going to be heartbroken. But I want to let's let's start this with breaking down the rules of sports fandom, as as you remember it from the playground, because I remember growing up, you know, I was. Born in Edmonton, didn't live there very long, and then moved to Calgary. But I remained a, a faithful fan to this day of the Edmonton Oilers, which is the hated rival of the Calgary team, your team, the Calgary Flames. And people always said to me, like, you've lived in Calgary for, you know, like 90% of your life. Why not just switch? Why not just be a Flames fan? And I was like, that is not how it works. That is not the rules. That's not how it goes. And I mean, I always kind of clung to geography. I was like, I was born there, so that's kind of it. But I don't know. If you're born in a place, do you, are you locked in? Are you locked into to that, that team? What do you think? Well, he, here's a little something for you. So I was actually born in Richmond, B.C., just outside Vancouver. Oh, shit. So you got the same thing. So I got the same thing, but the opposite. I moved to Calgary when I was two, but I clung on to Calgary. Huge diehard yeah. Flames fan. Hate the Canucks. Would never even cheer for them. um and i'm a little disappointed you win also change allegiances but i guess we have this conversation because of that (laughs) it's true i mean i was a little older when i moved to when i moved to calgary i was already like four or five but i just i think part of it though too is that i grew up in a household of of edmonton fans you know like that was my dad even he was born in bc uh and he moved to alberta I think when he was like 17 or 18, but this was also when Edmonton had Wayne Gretzky and they were crushing championships. So he kind of got on the bandwagon, I guess then, but you know, my mom is from Edmonton. So my aunts and uncles, everyone's a diehard Edmonton fan. The other side of the family, hockey wasn't a huge thing. So it just seemed to be like around me. And I, I attribute much of it to that too, but it is, it's like once you've got a team locked in, you don't switch, right? You don't switch. No, and you almost have to marry yourself to that from day one on the playground. Say, kindergarten, yeah. when you come in there and you're like, I'm an Oilers fan. You can't really yeah. change your tune after that. No, 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 no. And, I mean, that's it. I mean, Edmonton's been historically bad for, historically bad <laughs> for the last 13 years. And to be honest, like the, the idea, like people have said, that, oh, come on, why wouldn't you just switch? Like, why wouldn't you abandon? I see on Twitter people being like, that's it, I'm done with Edmonton, I'm switching or whatever. But it's, it's like physically the idea of cheering for another team, like just 
it's gross. It doesn't feel right, especially a team like Calgary or Vancouver or any of the other Canadian teams. I just, oh, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Be like a trader. Yeah, no, I got that. Uh, I got a quick question for you. When when the playoffs happen, you see a lot of the Canadians just like they want to pick a Canadian team. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I no, get upset when people are like, "How do you just automatically jump to Toronto?" Now you're a Toronto fan because they're Canadian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I never got that either. I mean, for for people outside of Canada and hockey fans, this is always a debate in Canada where most well every year, give or take, maybe three of eight Canadian teams or something like this will make the playoffs. The remaining teams in the National Hockey League are based in the U- the U.S. And so there's always the sentiment that it's like if your Canadian team that you cheer for is out or they're eliminated or they didn't make the playoffs, that we should all as a nation support the other Canadian teams that are that are in there. And I, they, pff, no way. Like, why would I want Winnipeg to be able to lord over the rest of us that they won a championship before us. Like that is not a true fan. If you're a true fan of the sport, you you don't you don't just jump ship. You don't just support another one. It's gross. Yeah, can't do it. Absolutely. And I'm more inclined to jump on a U.S. bandwagon team because I know I can mm. just brush it off next next year, as soon as exactly. it drops yeah. uh, for the next season. I'm diehard Calgary yeah. again. Yeah, exactly. You can't root for the enemy in your backyard, right? Like, at least I could be, you know, like in this year, St. Louis or Boston. I kind of like both those teams. And let's be honest, most of the players in, on any given team are Canadians. So if you really mm-hmm. want to be patriotic, you're, you're rooting for Canadians everywhere you go. But anyway, so this is an interesting question. I was like, always thought about, you know, why are we so wired to be sports fans and stuff? And there's a number of, like, I don't know, different theories on it, at least what, what I found going, you know, doing a little bit of research behind this. So there's different ways I found that psychology or evolutionary biology, evolutionary psychology deals with sport and sport fandom. Uh, Tribalism is the big one. I think everyone kind of grasps that notion that we're a tribal species. We grew up that, where we evolved that way. And so, you know, it's very natural for us to, to, to form tribes and to want to associate with tribes. One of the other ones is that it's like a training uh, for hunting, sort of warfare thing, or there's also possibly a sexual selection thing going on. So these are kind of the really common biological things going on. So sexual selection, I saw your face right there. Are you familiar with sexual selection, Robbie? Do you know what this is all about? Let's, uh, let's go ahead and remind me. <laughs> all right. So sexual selection is basically just like the way in which species pick their mates based on like one sex is choosing the other one. So usually this ends up being uh, you have competitions to, you know, get, be the, be the selected mate. Uh, and then this bears itself out in either like fighting or like really elaborate sexual displays. So basically it's the idea that one sex is competing to raise their attracti- attractiveness to the other, you know, for in order to access for mates. So you see it in things like, the, you know, like a buffalo, like a herd animal where, like, they fight, and then one of them, whoever wins, gets all the females. They get all the mates. Um, but that's not really applicable to humans. That's not really how we do it, and that wouldn't really make sense in terms of sport. Um, so then in the other way, it's more that you're – if you signal to the mate your fitness, you know, like, hey, look at me. 
look at how strong I am, look at how great I am. I would make a great, like my genes are good. You want to mate with me because I got the, I got the top genes, you know? And that's part of the fighting thing. But it also like ends up, you get these things like bird songs or those birds with like crazy feathers and, you know, stuff like that. And so it's all, that's all designed to like, I don't know, they've, they've sort of evolved that if you have a really good song or you have this intricate dance or you have these elaborate feathers, then the females look at that and that's how they judge the males and that's how they select the males. So those traits are all driven by sexual selection because the one with the best feathers, the one with the best song gets the gets to pass on their genes. But when I was thinking about that, it's like that doesn't really, you know, a lot of times those traits don't really signal the things that sport, that you would think sport signals, like I'm super strong or I'm super, you know, I can protect you, I can provide for you and things like this. So then the other aspect of it is that it could be this training or hunting thing. And that kind of made more sense to me because if you think about a lot of animals, um, you know, with their play behavior, you know, like they're like pack animals, so like wolves or lions or something like this, they all play uh, and they do rough, rough housing play and stuff like this when they're young. And I think part of that is like they're forming bonds because they have to work together as a tight knit group, which is, you know, similar to humans. And then it's also hunting, right? Like they learn the skills of hunting. And I mean, I don't know, like you're on the West Coast out there in Vancouver. So you guys have orca whales out there and you always see those videos of orcas like tossing seals around and shit, right? Where they're just, it looks like they're playing catch with this seal. And apparently yeah. that's a way, yeah. Yeah, you guys don't have the seal toss over there? <laughs> the seal toss is, is really lacking in, uh, in, <laughs> in the middle of Germany, yeah. I, I don't know about northern Germany. I don't know about the sea. I don't know if they have orcas up there. Maybe you have to go up to Norway to see it. But yeah. So, I mean, it, it seems like it's a way that it's like, it's training, right? It's how you teach the young these these skills and things like that and i mean even in you know teresa my lovely wife who you know she works with play behavior uh in rats and that's basically it seems to be you know they do these rough and tumble play and stuff and it helps them sort out their hierarchy and then also it helps them you know figure out mating relationships earlier on in life so there's that to me makes a lot of sense and that there's like there's this training aspect to sport. And maybe that's where sport came from, uh, evolved from in humans. And so I found this one guy. So he wrote an essay in this journal called Evolutionary Psychology. And he, this is what he argues, is that it's a, sport is a way in which men developed skills for primitive hunting and warfare. And he lays out four sort of premises that uh, if they're true, if you can agree that these four things are true, then that sort of solidifies his point. And so the first one is that most popular modern male sports require the skills needed for success in male-on-male physical competition and primitive hunting and warfare. So I don't know. What do you think? The first thing that comes to mind is Zoolander when they're training all the male models so they could be assassins. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But So a lot of things... I could see that, though. I mean, okay, let's rewind a bit, though. What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Would the, the premise that sport evolved or was developed in a way that it would teach men 
the skills needed for primitive hunting and warfare. And so the first point that this guy makes for that is that most popular modern male sports require skills that would make you successful in sort of primitive hunting and warfare. So I went and took a look at what are the top four, five uh, sports, male sports. And so I found this one site where they ranked it on like viewership, audience numbers worldwide, salaries of the players, a bunch of different metrics. And the top five is soccer, basketball, cricket, tennis, and then athletics. So athletics being, you know, like track and field. And so, I mean, I guess like a lot, like in common with all of these, running, you know, fitness, there's there's certain level of maneuvering around an opponent. And I guess when you think of like primitive warfare or hunting, that makes sense. You're kind of, you got to like deke a guy out or get around him or something. I would have thought that like the one that really stands out is that would fit with this is combat sports, you know, like football, American football or uh, boxing and things like this. But I think you could make a case for all of these, the hand-eye coordination, these kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. Being in kind of peak physical condition, being able to outmaneuver, outmaster, outsmart your opponent. I think that's kind of the basis of all sports, essentially, which Mm -hmm. could be be tallied to combat for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense. It's pretty logical. The second one that he says is that, And this is where I'm kind of like, well, maybe. But he says that champion male athletes obtain high status and therefore reproductive opportunities similar to the ways in which, you know, these primitive uh, hunter-gatherer societies would have had if they were successful hunters and warriors. So basically, athletes are desired in the same way that hunters and warriors were desired in primitive hunter-gatherer societies. But I'm, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's an interesting one. I think that could be attained to what you would call the divas in the NFL. The people who want to be on the camera, who want to be shown, who want to have their brand that way. Mm -hmm, To mm -hmm. be kind of picked out from the flock as like, hey, look at me. I'm the best at what I do here. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know that, you know, athletes achieve celebrity status. They're obviously desired in, in some way, either by society or the opposite sex or... I don't know. I mean, and this is really looking at it from a male thing. Like, this guy is coming in and saying that it was developed for males to learn these skills. Whereas now we have, you know, female and male sports. I mean, I guess, you know, for better or worse, male sports seem to dominate the... But that could just be historical, political factors or whatever. But I would imagine, though, too, that this premise he's coming from is that you know, it's way back in hunter-gatherer societies, and I think we can agree that the men did the hunting and the and the warfare in those societies. I mean, as far as I know, I don't study the stuff, but I think that's how it went, so. And then, number three, men pay closer attention than women to male sports so they can evaluate potential allies and rivals. So again, this is a, if this is true, this, this, indicates that this is what this is why sports were developed in a way to train men these skills and i don't this is another one where i'm just like well i don't know like can you say that as true now i mean that's the stereotype right that men like sports and and women don't care for it as much but i don't know but i don't know if that's true in today's world no how how long ago was this article that you read written 2000 2000 year 2000 yeah, it seems a lot of 
<laughs> seems, <laughs> seems like a different point of view back then. Um, <laughs> seems like a very male-dominated point of view as well. Yeah. But, well, I mean, he's coming from the thesis that sports were developed in order to train men these skills, which, right. like we said, we can agree that men were doing these activities in primitive hunter-gatherer societies. But, yeah, I don't know if you could say that men pay closer attention. And I think it could be, like, it's just like, okay, maybe that's where it developed. But it's since moved away from that, right? Like, we're looking, we're talking about it as, like, where did it evolve? Why did our love of this sort of, where does it come from? And so it could change. So it could be, like, historically, like, 10,000 years ago, this is why we started playing sports. And now that's changed. Because right. I think it's, it's obvious that it changed. Yeah, for sure. It also seems to me like he's kind of pulling up... Uh a theory that you have like the one leader, the one master who wants to train these guys as mm. opposed to, in my opinion, when sports started, you maybe had a handful of guys who wanted to be super competitive against each other. So I don't yeah. think they yeah, necessarily yeah. would have had that combative opinion going into it. Uh, mm. Aside from, mm -hmm. I want to just compete with you. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it sounds like he's kind I of mean, taking how it. Much of it. How much of it too could have just been boredom? Like, this is what you do when you're bored. Hey, like, you fire up a card game, but now we, hey, now we have a ball. Let's kick this ball around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think about all the times you and I and our friends growing up, when we had nothing to do, we just started throwing rocks at things. Hey, can you hit that? <laughs> hey, can you hit that? You know, have the old aim game. So, but I think, I mean, I, I, I am on board with the premise that it could be, it could have evolved as a way for the group to sort of train. Like, in the, like I said, in a similar way that, like, animals hunting animals, you know, have these things. But anyway, here's the last one. And again, it's kind of, you know, who knows. But it's like male sports became culturally more important when opportunities to evaluate potential allies and rivals declined uh, as both the survival importance of hunting and the proportion of men who experienced combat decreased. So he's basically saying as we had less, um, you know, actual combat and hunting going on, we gravitated more to replace that with sports it could be i don't know i don't know i don't know how you would ever measure these things and i didn't bother to read the guy's whole essay so <laughs> I, mean, I don't yeah, know where he, he makes compelling arguments i guess like i could see each one i don't know if i necessarily stand by it or believe them yeah. but but yeah i mean they they all make sense it's no different right. than if you have an army though they're going to train the same way uh, NFL team will. You're gonna do. You're right. gonna do your running. You're gonna do your late weightlifting. Yeah, which I guess is kind of support for this idea, right? Like it's you know it makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. So I mean, yeah, I think I I can agree with the premise. I'm I'm, I'm on board with it, uh, but I, I always have trouble with these kind of arguments when you're talking about like evolution and where things came from because I think if you're starting at you know today, and you want to say well where did this come from? You can almost make a like an evolutionary argument for anything, as long as there's a scenario in which like the traits for sports or whatever were advantageous, uh, then you could make an evolutionary argument for it. But yeah, it's like, but we but we don't really know the scenarios in which these people, primitive people, evolve. We can make guesses, but so I think there's always a lot of room to sort of start with your conclusion already and then work backwards and fill in the evidence that you want to. I think it's work in your favor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I look back at when uh, when you said we used to throw rocks. 
It's as simple as that. Someone throwing rocks and then someone picks up a stick. Hey, throw that rock at me. Let me see if I can hit this rock. Boom, yeah, now you have yeah, baseball. Yeah. Or you you have cricket, you know? it's Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how much of it, like, it's funny if you had, like, a time machine, you could go back and you're like, oh, I have this, you know, this thesis that people were doing sports as a way to, like, train and do all these things. And then you go back to, like, the 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 birthplace of sport and it's just two guys that got bored <laughs> and just started throwing rocks at each other or something like this you know <laughs> all right so that was okay so that's that that's one i got one i get i'll do a little bit more here i feel like i'm going on and on about this but the next idea is that it's the tribalism the tribal thing this is why we love sports and um, because we're tribal creatures and this is where our love came out, and this is why we have such uh, strong fan you know, loyalty and stuff. And I mean, this one makes sense to me as well. I mean, you can, and there's some behaviors that would indicate this to be true. So I found one study where um, professors looked at university students after the school's local football games. So this is America, American football. And so if the team won, more students wore you know, the jerseys or the team colors the next day than when they lost. And when they were asked about the outcome of the game, if the team won, they were more likely to say, we won. And if the team lost, they were more likely to say, they lost. So the idea is that they're, 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 they're premises that we're wired to want to associate ourselves with the winning tribe. Because that would be, you know, again, in the in the days when you needed hunting and fighting and war and stuff like that. You wanted to be part of the, the winning tribe. Otherwise, you're done. So if you didn't have that drive, you would be, you know, killed and you'd be one of the weak ones left aside. So they even had some names for this, this like terms for this, like associating with the winners and disassociating with the losers. So associating with the winners, they called basking in reflected glory. Sounds like a stupid psychology term. And then, <laughs> and then if, you, if you're disassociating from the losers, it's cutting off reflected failure. And I'm just picturing some, like, really snobby psychology professor coming up with this and being like, hmm, yes, pushing up his glasses on cutting <laughs> off the reflected failure, yes, hmm. But anyway, they extend this to, like, this is also, um, you know, in the tribal groups that we form now, like political, religious, all this kind of thing. You want to be associated with the winning team and this is where that, like, real, you know, why people get so angry about it, you know, about sports or religion or politics or whatever. And so then the idea is that this, this sports is sort of a less violent surrogate for these tribal instincts that we all have. Um, and so the, they went so far as to say, you know, like, when the team wins, uh, it feels and looks like, like you won uh, because your need to feel part of the tribe is so successful. Um, and it literally makes you feel safer if you're, you know, this is like the, the deep evolutionary thing is that it like will make you feel safer to be associating with the winning team, which is why we put so much uh, stake in it. And then this can also, they also use this to try and explain why some fans, looking at, looking at Vancouver Canucks fans <laughs> right here, will actually trash their city after they lose. Or, you know, and then if you look at European football fans, their stereotype of actually attacking the other the other team's fans when they lose and it's they say it's like you know these strong tribal you know feelings or whatever but i i kind of feel like it lets these idiots off the hook though you know like oh yeah, yeah they're just 
Absolutely. I'm kind of of the, the mentality that people kind of have it in their mind that they want to just cause ruckus. Mm-hmm. But, uh, wait, 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 man, scratch that last bit. No, no, no. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think it is a, you know, because, well, self-control. And then actually, so let me move on to this next, this last one, because there's this guy, journalist by the name of Eric Simmons. He wrote a book called The Secret Lives of Sports Fans. Um, and so I looked at a number of interviews with him and read some sort of reviews of his book. Uh, apologies, listeners. I didn't read the whole book. <laughs> uh, but um, he kind of takes this as well, and he brings it to the individual. He starts off his book anyway, I guess, with the in, like looking at the individual. And he has the same sentiment that you just that you just said, where it's like, if you want, like, it's the individual, and if you want to cause some shit, you're going to cause some shit. It's not this, like, group, this tribal mentality that's making you do it. Um, so he looks at sports and sports fandom loyalty as more of an individual thing and that it's really about, it's all about love. It's all about love, man. That's his, that's his thing. And so here's a quote from this interview that I was reading from him. The, the book is kind of a confirmation for human beings of the primacy and importance of interpersonal relationships and love. There's a lot of really cool science coming out of psychology labs about how our brains perceive relationships and how they operate with relationships. The way that relationships work, your brain often has trouble distinguishing you and the other person. So it's this idea that like when you're in a loving relationship with someone, their success is your success. You start to see yourself in them and them in you. And it's this really deep bond. And that's what we see in sports fans and our sports loyalties to our teams. So just like any other loving relationship you're in, the team becomes part of you. And this is why, you know, we're able to sort of look at some of the, you know, disregard some of the nastier sides of sports and still be in love in the team, in love with the team, and why the success and failure feels like personal success and failure. And there's also other evidence where, like, t testosterone levels increase when you're watching sports just as much as the testosterone levels of the athletes increase. So there's, like, it's the same magnitude of increase, so it's like you're really there, you're really feeling it. So this, this idea that fans are getting so jacked up is, is true. Um, there's also other neurochemical things that they've looked at in terms of reward centers, like dopamine and stuff. So, like, when your team wins, you get a reward boost in your brain, which makes sense. And it's the same kind of thing that you would get from, you know, being in love with somebody. Yeah, I really like that takeaway. I like the idea... In my opinion, sports, it's a way to kind of step out of my own reality. It's a way mm. to, like, and that's kind of where I take away, like, I don't necessarily like the whole tribal thought about being in sport and stuff like that. For me, it's kind of an escape. An escape, I can sit on the couch for two, three hours, forget about what's going on in my own life, and then mm. get really passionate about this team that I love. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, yeah, you, I mean, you talk about the, the dopamine levels getting up and you, and you do get the, those highs and lows sitting on the couch, just like on the edge of your seat, watching as the game spikes or kind of goes mm -hmm. down the toilet. Yeah. It's a roller coaster ride for sure. And I do like that idea that it's, it's escapism. I mean, we, I didn't really touch on that at all and it's not one of the ones that comes up, but I mean, it makes a lot of sense in that it's like sort of. I don't know, stress relief or something like that. You're so caught up in everything else and then you can, you can be invested in this thing and the success of this thing without really having to do anything. 
Right. Like, right. Like, I and don't you, have to train. No, when you take an entire city who cheers for the same team, and now you have something in common with everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of mm-hmm. so you can all kind of gather up, be one, and cheer for the same team. Mm-hmm. And it's something you get to bring with you. So, I mean, you bring a different team to Calgary. And I think we all get on you, like, we kind of give you a hard time, you give us a hard time, <laughs> but it's all in good, loving nature, right? Like, it's nothing yeah, yeah. nothing overly aggressive, no. but we get to sit down, and I would go to an Oilers game with you, like I think we did in Vancouver. That's right, we did. You and took I can, me to really great seats, no less. Yeah, to my two least favorite teams, because it's sport. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was a blast, Brad. I had so much fun. So, <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, it's true. I think, I mean, then you, there you touched on, you know, some of the the tribal aspects of it too, you know, like it's something, you know, that a city can wrap around, but then there's also this, like, it becomes part of your personal identity, right? Like I identify as an Oilers fan and living, you know, behind enemy lines, so to speak, in the rival city, you kind of wear that as a badge of honor a little bit. Then Mm -hmm. it starts to beat you down after 12 years of historic... (laughs) mismanagement and failure but anyway that's another podcast yeah. if only you had um, the best player in the league on your team you could probably turn it around oh, you you dirty dog <laughs> i know where you're going with that i'm for the fans for the for the listeners out there that aren't familiar with hockey yes edmonton has arguably the best player in the league in the world on our team and we're still crappy next year robbie next year and <laughs> uh, that's the that's the perennial cry of most sports fans next year next year um yeah so i i think like all of these things that we just like went through i mean they probably all play a role right and i'll just touch on the hooliganism thing um and this idea of self-control that you brought up and like it's the individual's choice like if someone wants to it's these people want to go out and make a ruckus and that's what this author this eric simmons guy kind of pointed out because he was just like if you look at you know say uh, English football fans or something, or football fans in, in Europe in general, they've been able to sort of society and with different measures, they've been able to kind of stamp out a lot of that really violent behavior, which just goes to show you that it's like, it's not this like, and it's not like there was large biological changes in these men over the last 20 years. So it really is your personal choice. It's like, if you want to go out and cause some shit, then you're going to do it. And so it's like, for those idiots that want to go do that kind of stuff, it's like we the onus should be on them and there should be no biological, tribal, whatever <laughs> reason for, for that, you know, behavior. Yeah, I mean, I think the accountability wasn't there 20, 30 years ago where if you go and smash a car window because your team loses, no one's finding out. Now with social mm-hmm. media, you're snapshotted, you're maybe yeah. losing your job, getting punished. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be accountable for your actions and I think that kind of helps deter that mob yeah. mentality. I think so. And I think just in general, like society kind of looked at it. I mean, there must have been, I think alcohol obviously plays a role in all of that. <laughs> no doubt in all of this. Yeah. And I don't know. I was trying like, my hardest not to blame my best friend there. So <laughs> <laughs> as I'm sipping my glass of wine. Here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's Yeah. I, th- I think it's th- like that kind of behavior is definitely on the individual. And it's like you brought up how it's like we can make fun of each other and, you know, rather ruthlessly, but it's all in good fun. And that's kind of, so maybe the sports thing, why we love sports is really just as simple as that, is that it, it gives your brain the, 
you know, the reward chemicals that you, that you crave, you know, it gives you the high, it gives you, even in the low, you can take some kind of comfort and solace in other fans and you can have fun with, you know, other people's misery and like getting teased and all this kind of, like, I don't know, like it's, it's all there. So I, I don't, like, who knows? I think all of those things really make sense. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Um, I want to float back a little bit to your passion for the Oilers <laughs> and then, and then touching on like player individuality, because we got, uh, you got loyalty to the team, mm-hmm. but we're so loyal to these teams that go through players so frequently. Yeah, that's a good point. Do, yeah. do you think there's any loyalty to the players or is it like, sure, you get your favorite player that comes in, you'll get his Jersey. How long does that last? It doesn't last as long as your loyalty to that team. That's for sure. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's team or club above all for sure. But if you look at it, you know, and this is a debate that comes up a lot, especially when, you know, like you said, like in professional sports, players are moving teams all, all the time. But think about the, the situation. You guys had this in Calgary with Jerome McGinley, where, excuse me, he's played his whole career in Calgary. He's getting near the end of his career. He's beloved. He's broken all the records for Calgary. Great player. Getting near the end of his career wants to win a championship the team needs to move on and get rid of his contract or whatever so they trade him to a team that might win a championship it's good for him it's good for the team it's good for everybody it's a feel-good situation he got traded to what pittsburgh pittsburgh penguins at that time did you cheer for the pittsburgh penguins that year did you cheer for aginla to win a cup Mm, maybe in the back of my head because calgary was out Mm mm-hmm and but that's but no, I wasn't wholeheartedly invested in Pittsburgh. Yeah, see, and so I think it is. It's it's more about the symbol. It's more about the team than it is the. And I think maybe that's that's one of the other things of the great thing about sport. You know, we're talking about sports fandom here, but we're not even talking about like playing sports, because when you're playing sports and you're part of a team, that's a great you know that's a great bonding experience. That's a great you know. People talk about it as being like a character building thing because you learn, and this is where the idea that sports as training for different activities comes in or for different life situations comes in, is you learn to be a part of a team. You learn to sacrifice some of your personal success for the team's success. You learn to communicate, work with other pe- with other humans, you know? And so I think that that kind of mentality is where a lot of us probably come from when we're thinking about fandom it's like well i'm a member of this team so i'm invested in that team and i'm helping that team so if you leave that team sorry i might like you as a dude but you're not on the team anymore you can't help us win so that's why the team allegiance is more than the personal allegiance yeah yeah that's a good good point so these players that come so jerome mcginla specifically is a guy from edmonton Mm-hmm. who goes to play for the rival Calgary Flames for his whole career. Mm-hmm. At what point do you think you become a fan to a player? Like, do you think there's any relation to... Do you think you get to a certain age? I don't know. I'm kinda, I guess what I'm saying is, like, that competitive edge we have as fans. Mm-hmm. As a player, they're being brought up to be that mortal, like, combative person mm-hmm. to go to war if you want to go that tribal route. Mm-hmm. But you're changing teams every couple of years. Mm-hmm. 
So then, then what are you loyal to as a player? I think they're just, I, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, you know, you, pl- you played sports growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I played, I played team sports growing up as well. So, I mean, it's like every year you kind of, you might have a couple of the same guys on your team, but it's, it's really just about, I think professional athletes in, in particular are just really good at being like, this is my new team. You know, this is my new squad. This is my goal. This is my purpose. I mean, professional athletes are kind of a different thing. You know, like we're talking about like these evolutionary origins of where these feelings and stuff come from. Professional sports is probably not really even a good, you know, uh, comparison for that because they're paid. This is their job. And they're trained to be like, you know, I'm doing this as a job. So this is my new team. This is my new team. This is what, you know. I mean, obviously, they have these things, and they're passionate. I mean, if you look at hockey especially, I think, you know, hockey in the NHL is one of the few where you can kind of look at the players, and they seem to still have this, like, respect, you know, for the team that they're playing for and some of these ideals and stuff. And in some of the other big American sports, that seems to be lacking. You know, I'm looking at you, basketball. I'm looking at you, American football. (laughs) Come at me, NFL. Come at me, NBA. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think it's probably that, and it's and I mean, and then and then that's the role of the coach, right? Like a good coach is able to foster the team unity, or a good team captain is able to foster that team unity in a way that you can very quickly come together as a group to achieve the goal, right? R- right, and then you're playing for everyone beside you, the faces across the locker room, the 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 logo on the chests. All the other cliches that you could throw. Yeah, in. exactly. All those, <laughs> all those post-talking interviews. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's one aspect of sport that we thought about discussing today. The other one, and then we kind of, I kind of glossed over it a little bit in my end there, but you brought it up in the in the in the pre-show notes, and I think it's a, I think it's an interesting one. Um is this idea that we can overcome the negative aspects of sport. ID, what we talked about before was concussions, right? So we can sit there and watch these guys full well knowing that some of them are going to get really injured or could get really injured, and, uh, and we're still okay with it. You know, and we kind of went through the reasons there why we love it. We're hardwired to love it, whatever it is. But you brought up an interesting point, and maybe I'll let you lay it out about concussions, and especially some of these like physical impact sports like American football or hockey. Yeah, I was actually just kind of sitting back wondering about your opinion on the like the longevity of sports, the longevity of these uh, these very highly aggressive sports like a hockey, like a football, because the more the science world's getting involved, and it is in a huge way, even with mm-hmm. analytics, science. The information we're getting, these sports aren't safe. So now you have parents with this information putting their five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-olds into these sports knowing that these guys could have serious brain damage come early 30s, if not earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, the more information that comes out, what do you, what's your opinion on how long these sports are going to be actually viable before a parent looks at hockey and says, you know what, maybe I put my kid in basketball. Maybe I do soccer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point. Um, I think the numbers of you know, kids enrolling in, in ice hockey in Canada is already going down. 
I mean, part of that is financial. I mean, it's 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 an expensive sport to play. But I think I think a big part of it too is driven by, yeah, safety, right? Um, even just look at how fighting, you know, hockey is has been traditionally known for its fighting, like one of the few <laughs> few sports where you're allowed to <laughs> bare knuckle fight. Uh, but that's gone. That's going away. You know, the the sport is changing um, in terms of. You know, just because people are realizing that it's, you know, why are we doing this? I think there's rule changes in football, American football, too, that are are happening. So I don't know. I do think that maybe I could see us. I could see a scenario where these sports are either no longer played or they're drastically different than what we what we know them as today. You know, um, and is that a good thing? I mean, probably, but. I think that, you know, all these things that we just talked about, these sort of hardwired uh, things that we love about sport, that's what makes some of these things so compelling. You know, the risk of injury makes it compelling. Like, think about even something that you you don't, I don't really think of as like a classic sport, but like, um, you know, uh, car racing, you know. That's kind of compelling because they can, because there could be a fiery wreck. Like I know everyone's like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I watch it because the I like the cars and the strategies. Like, yeah, but the fact that at any moment a car going three hundred miles, like you know, like that's it's it's that if there's no risk, there's no reward. If there's no risk, there's no greatness in doing it. You know, like there's no greatness in achieving it. In in you know, so. I don't know. I yeah, think that absolutely. there's always going to be a, a there's always going to be an element of danger to sport. Like without it, like you can't have a. It's like it's like the whole thing of like not keeping score. You know. Well, then what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> then we're just running around. We may as well just be running around with sticks, hitting rocks. You know. So yeah. yeah. I mean, my opinion of it is that yeah, definitely we'll see changes to sports as. You know, we we realize that, especially with a brain injury, you know, we can't keep going with this concussion stuff and, and just guys getting wrecked. Or we see it, you know, that just that the numbers decline and the people that do do it make a, an informed decision and they get paid, you know, they get paid to do it. So, I mean, that's the other argument, right? People are like, well, they get paid millions of dollars to do this. So high risk, high reward. Yeah. What yeah, do you think? For sure. I could, I, I'm so torn on the whole subject. Back to the NASCAR thing. I heard a funny quote the other day about um, if you wanted to make NASCAR safe. He's like, it was Brian Burke, actually. He was doing one of his tongue-in-cheek speeches, but yeah. he gave it. He's like, yeah, you can make NASCAR safe. He's like, just make the speed limit 50 kilometers an hour. There's going to yeah. be no accidents. Yeah. But you're going to have no one in the crowd either. So exactly. for me, yeah, that's a the part of intrigue with sport is those huge hits in hockey. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's seeing people get crushed because I don't want to get crushed. And that's why I'm not putting myself in that sport. Yeah. But, it, but and it's you intriguing also, to watch it. you also know what that would feel like, right? Like you can look at that <laughs> and be like, Oh, glad it wasn't yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I kind of, you even see it with hockey nowadays where there's so much skill that I don't want to say the, it takes away from the game, mm -hmm. but I miss seeing the Scott Stevens hits out there. Mm -hmm. I miss seeing Paul Korea try and fly through the ice, and if his head's not up, 
he's he's getting the wind he's getting knocked him, out you know? he's getting knocked out yeah. yeah yeah i i agree it sounds really savage uh and yeah. you know being 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 here in in germany and people here not being as familiar with ice hockey and see even listen to me now i'm calling it ice hockey i've been in europe too long <laughs> um you know it's tough it is kind of tough to explain because people will look at me and be and they'll say like what is this fighting like i'll show them clips like i'll get excited like i'll have people over here to watch a hockey game and usually people are coming in not you know having seen one or two hockey games maybe in their life and they but they definitely know that there's fighting and so they'll be like are we, are they going to fight are they going to fight I'm like well maybe 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 they will but <laughs> even as as i'm saying it i'm getting excited because yeah, it would and be, you seem to start poking at each other on the yeah, ice, and, and you're like, getting yeah, you're getting him, wrapped up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it is. You get wrapped up in that. And I mean, you know, going to a going to a soccer game, a, like a football game here, and seeing the crowd, and then comparing that to a crowd in a you know Canadian hockey game. We're quiet. We're super quiet over in Canada until there's a fight. Once there's a fight, everybody stands up. Everybody's cheering. They're banging on the glass. They're doing it. so. I mean, is it a North American thing where we need to be stimulated like that? Because I, <laughs> I remember going to hockey games in Berlin as well, and it was the best atmosphere I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You have the whole standing crowd, and everyone's just going the entire game with the drums and the singing and the yeah. Yeah, it's a spectacle. It's amazing. And then you come to a North American rink. Everyone's just sitting down, waiting for that big play, waiting for the big hit, the fight, yeah. the goal. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what that is. That's actually something we could have we could have looked at too. Is like the fan cultures because it is so different. It's so different, and it doesn't matter if it's like. I mean, I guess in the NFL, in like um, American football, there's more of a like the crowd is kind of standing more of the whole game and like yelling and stuff. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. I still don't think it's on the level of of soccer over here, just in terms no. of the organization. Like the you you go to a game here. And they're singing they these songs, songs cheering. And, yeah, and it's we don't we just don't have that. We might have like a go team go or defense def you know something like this, but it's very basic in comparison. But I mean, I I, I would I think the nature of the sports though plays into that as well. Whereas like you know soccer over here, the game never really stops. You know, it's right. always moving. Whereas North American sports, there's a lot of start and stop, start and stop. So you're kind of watching a bit more to see what's going on and you know your chant you know if the play stops and you're still like kind of seeing it, it just seems maybe a bit weird i don't know it's an interesting way like the, and i'm sure there's like historical culture things that go into that because i've learned that german people like to have a few beers and then start singing <laughs> yeah understandably so i mean <laughs> be an asshole not to jump on that bandwagon <laughs> yeah. But yeah, in terms of how the sports will change, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we could do a whole show probably on concussions, right? And concussion research. That's fascinating stuff. Scary. Absolutely. But fascinating, for sure. Um, yeah, because what's the old terminology in, in hockey? You, that guy got their bell rung? He got their bell and rung. Then, yeah, he got his bell rung. He got rung. their bell yeah. rung, yeah. yeah. And that was just a thing back in the 80s, early 90s. And then it's like, oh, well, that means he's concussed. It's yeah. like, no, that's... That guy's going to have brain damage for the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then to see, like, how many... I mean, this was a big thing in the hockey world that, again, listeners who aren't familiar with hockey, 
a lot of these guys that played the really tough role, the sort of enforcer role, the fighter role, that were taking a lot of hits, suicide later in later in their career, you know, and that was one of the one of the indicators of you know the NFL and the lawsuit that happened with them, their players versus the league in terms of concussion and hiding the evidence that concussions were causing these problems. That was a big thing, but then they started, you know, we turned our eye to to hockey and saw that yeah. A large number of these guys that were playing the hardest role and probably taking the hardest hits to their head, suffering with depression, suffering with you know addiction, and, and making all these things. yeah, making the less money as well. I mean, it's fighters true. aren't going to be the the best paid in hockey. No, no, they're a dime a dozen because it's it's the it's the easiest job and the hardest job at the same time, right? Like you don't you know it's like high end skill takes. Genetics takes training, takes luck, takes all the thing to get to the top of the top for a high-end skill player. Guys that are willing to drop the mitts and chuck knuckles with another dude, those you can find those kind of anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting one, and maybe we'll maybe in our either our next sports extravaganza episode or our spin-off podcast, we'll see. <laughs> We can go more. We can go deeper into that one, but let's let's move on to the last one that that we sort of discussed prior to the show that we wanted to sort of touch on, um, and it's moving away from the fans and going towards the athletes. The yips. The yips. the The best word in sports to say. The yips. <laughs> the yips. But no, no yips. one wants to have it. <laughs> no one wants to have it, and no one really knows what it is. Uh, but I know I've had it. I'll relate my story of the yips to you. Because it happened, the worst time it ever happened to me, and again, if anyone doesn't, you know, listening doesn't know the yips, this is when you just choke. You choke. You just, you forget how to play a sport that you've played forever. So my, the best time, or the best slash worst story I have of this, I'm playing catch. You know, we got the baseball mitts out. We're throwing the ball back and forth with a good mutual friend of both of ours, Matthew Easton. He might be listening to this. Who knows? He'll re- if he is, he's already laughing. I know. <laughs> we're playing catch, and we, you know, we're just throwing the ball back and forth. And then all of a sudden, every throw I make is going straight into the ground. You know, like a couple meters away from me. Just I forgot how to throw. It was the weirdest thing. He's laughing his ass off. And, like, you know, making fun of me to no end. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, okay. That was just a bad one. Again, second throw. Boom, same thing, into the dirt. It was like, it was like my arm was rubber. It was like I just, you know, I knew what I had to do, but I couldn't (laughs) do it. I just couldn't do it. And it lasted for, like, five minutes. We And I had to take a break. I was like, okay, let me just take a break. Obviously, something's going on here. And the fact that he's laughing makes it worse. And then it just spirals out of control, you know. But take a break, kind of reset, and then gently throw another one. (laughs) Okay, okay, that one was better. That was okay. Uh, And then you got to, like, almost start from scratch and, like, relearn this thing that I knew how to do for years and that I was doing five minutes ago so well. So weird. It's absolutely, it's got to be one of the greatest, like, phenomenons in sports, in my opinion, like, mm-hmm. like so, based on the throwing that you're talking about, and I was telling you briefly about uh, people whose careers have actually ended. So Chuck Knobloch, I don't know if you know that name, Chuck but he's Knobloch. like an 
Nope, he is a uh, baseball player, uh, all-star baseball player too. Made several all-stars, and later in his career, couldn't throw to first base. <laughs> like it was just like out of out of the fucking blue, he would be at second, get the ball, try and throw the first, boom in the dirt, boom in the dirt, boom sail over that way. Yeah. No matter what the and. This is an all-star, perennial all-star, can no yeah. longer throw the ball to first base. Like his own, that's, that's what he's been working at his whole life. Yeah. And so, so I, I'm so amazed by this. So I'm like, man, I got to look into this further. Mm-hmm. Like what's mm-hmm. going on here? And the crazy thing is no one really can figure it out. Like there's no exact science that has figured out what is going on. They say it's yeah. obviously like a loss of some neurological thing where you lose the the fine motor skills in what you normally do. Mm-hmm. But he had to actually stop playing baseball. Like, like he, he had to retire. His career. Yeah. He had to retire based because he couldn't throw the ball to first base as a professional athlete. <laughs> that had been doing it for his whole life. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. And um, I don't know if you've, golf is another big one for me. And yeah. that's where it's like happened for me. And it's, for me, it's usually chipping. Right. If like if I have the littlest chip to make and it's like something I've been doing forever, I'll go to chip and then like you can't even explain it, but you're you're shanking that ball. Yeah. Something that you can just like do over and over and it's just like I can't I can't hit this ball onto the green and you almost <laughs> want to quit right there. Golf is um, probably one of the biggest ones for it, yeah. Yeah. Like potting happens, I think. Like, people have said, like, Tiger Woods had the yips back then, back mm-hmm. when, and uh, Jordan Spieth's shown signs of it. The biggest the biggest guy, I think he even coined the term the yips, is Tommy Armour. I don't know if you know much about Tommy Armour, but he was also, like, one of the better golfers in history, and then all of a sudden couldn't make a putt. <laughs> just, just that motion of, like, when he starts to slowly come in, like, something in his arm would just... It's a week, and he would send that ball flying or send it shorter. Yeah. And um, so apparently there's about 48% of athletes experience the yips over time. Mm-hmm. And then they have to, like, they have to actually, like, change their technique, like, change how they're holding the ball, change how they're holding the putter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, like, reteach themselves how to throw if it's not bad enough where you have to quit altogether. Yeah. So you got to retrain. you got to, like, start from scratch. And either retrain yourself in the same method or change the method slightly so that you're, like, learning a new thing. Yeah, and there's been a couple different experience, uh, experiments sorry, where, where people believe, like, if you hold a ball as tight as you can with your left hand and then immediately drop it and go back to putting, mm. you'll sink the putt. Mm. And if you do it with your right hand, you'll still have the yips. So this is way over my head. Yeah. So I don't know if you if you have any knowledge on the left versus right. No, no, no. And why that would be, I don't. But did it work? It worked, and <laughs> in the studies that they've shown, and obviously it hasn't been tested on everyone with the yips, but they're like the studies that they've done it. Yeah, if you grip something as hard as you can with your left hand, hmm. and then try and do what you've been doing, you'll be able to D- perform again. You'll be able to do it again, huh? I mean, it's really weird. Yeah, that's weird. I can't think of why that would be, but I'm just like totally hard speculating in that there's some kind of nerve pathway or something that you can sort of either calm or reset or something. I don't know. Yeah. 
See, I thought I would bring that onto a science show for answers, and here I am just getting, getting nothing. <laughs> Dude, you obviously haven't listened to this show, because this show is not about answers. This show is about, whoa, that's weird. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. now, now, another thing I haven't looked into too much further either is cricket. Mm. So the, the yips are very common in cricket. Yeah. But one thing I heard is it's only with left-handed spinners. Ah, okay. So these are the, the guys throwing the ball at the batter yep. left-handed. And a spinner, left-handed. is that like a, like, a, like a type of throw that you do? I think that's just what they call you. Ah, like when okay. you let spin up. Okay. And th- there could be a lot of cricket fans out there being like, this guy's an idiot. Yeah. Stick to hockey. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, from my understanding, it, it's only left-handed spinners who are affected by the yips. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I wonder, because it seems to be like we associate it with like certain things, right? Like throwing, like nobody forgets how to run, right? Right. You don't forget how to run. But it's like fine motor skills, so like throwing, batting, shooting a basketball is another one. Well, golf is the big one. Shooting a basketball, Mm -hmm. you can think of it really, you know, you go cold streak when you're shooting your jump shot or something. Or I think of it, I tend to think of it too as in, high pressure moments but is it when it's in a high pressure moment like basketball on the free throw line when you know games on the line or whatever and you just totally botch it so what's the difference between just the pressure getting to you you know and choking versus the yips is it the same mechanism and just that the yips just happens in low pressure moments like in in random moments i wonder if it's like the same like if you were taking a mri of a guy's brain and it's like the two things are totally same like the the mechanism is totally the same i wonder yeah and i mean yeah absolutely i would i choke under pressure all the time <laughs> i don't know if you know this about me <laughs> if you ever want to get me off my golf game just put a little pressure on me put a little five dollar side bet on it or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly but no that's interesting i wonder it'd be it'd be sweet to be able to find a person with the yip and that's the thing with the yips too is like there's not really a way you can track it. You can't really just put something on a guy and be like, hey, you're going to get the yips today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're a Chuck Knobloch and you just obviously... <laughs> or <laughs> somebody, you know, maybe it is. It's just somebody put a voodoo curse on you. Maybe that's what the yips is. is these people have just wronged somebody and they've gotten <laughs> the, the voodoo. They got the, you know, the, what do you call Man. it? The, the curse. Um, I Man. think, yeah. I don't know, this... this I think opens up a lot of interesting because obviously it's neurological, right? Like it's got to be in the brain. It's a brain thing. Yeah, absolutely, right? absolutely. So then it's, it's, you know, I was thinking about a couple things as you were talking about this. Could there be a physical thing? Like maybe, you know, somebody has like a like a neuroscientists if they're listening they're just going to be yeah screaming at the microphone right now but <laughs> the point the point of being is like let's say there's like a micro stroke or something like some like actual physical thing that happens in your brain where it's like ah okay this pathway is blocked i used to be able to do this but this pathway is blocked baby it's just whatever and then you know your blood starts flowing again and you get it back you know, or maybe it's you never get it back because something is permanently sort of, you know, like a nerve died or something. And then you're, you know, or is it totally in your head, you know, like you just, the, like I said, the pressure or something like this. And what is the difference in that? 
you know, like if it's just pressure and it's just in your head, there's always, and I guess with muscle movements and all these things, and this is part of what makes sport great, is that there's always a chance that you could fuck it up. I mean, there's always a chance. But then that, that persistent, once it's happened, now it gets worse. And now it's, now it's in your now head. Now it's in your head. And now, now it's, it's in the back of your mind. Are you thinking yeah. about that? Yeah. So then that to me is just like, okay, so that's just anxiety. It's, it's not a physical thing. So I wonder if there's a physical thing or if it really is just like this sort of, you know, anxiety sort of thing. And I don't know the, the basis of anxiety. I mean, you could probably, I don't know, maybe a neuroscientist could tell us. Maybe I should ask my wife. Uh, <laughs> she's a neuroscientist. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe there's a physical, maybe there's kind of a physical thing in the brain for all of these things i don't know but yeah it's interesting and then it, the other thing it made me think of is have you ever heard of these um you know there's these like brain helmets now that people are starting to market where they like put like magnetic waves into your brain and it's supposed to like increase your ability to do fine motor skills or memory or something like this so I don't. I think the science on it is very, very iffy at the moment. But Radiolab, the NPR podcast, actually did an interesting piece on this, where they had the journalist um, went to one of these things, and it was like a shooting task, right? So like shooting a gun at targets. Uh, she hadn't done shooting before, really, and was terrible at it when they first did it. And then they did this magnetic stimulation or whatever of the brain whatever it was they were doing and she did the task again and her accuracy increased I think it was something like 70% or something like it was something crazy and I've actually had uh, a company I can't remember the name because it just seemed a little like I was like "Eh, I don't know if I want to endorse this but they were contacting me because they saw that I was doing science writing and so they were sent, their press officer was sending me, like, you should write about our company. You should write about our company. And it's the same thing. It's like this little helmet that you wear, and it's like you put magnets or something. It's like, yeah, it's some kind of deep brain stimulation. And, I mean, we kind of know that some of these things work, right? Like, they put electrodes in the brain to help with seizures and things like this. So there's some basis to it. But it's like maybe the yips is like it's totally curable, and you just, you know, it's just... You just need this helmet or whatever. <laughs> it just disguises as a golf hat. Go out there and yeah, <laughs> put perfectly every time. Yeah, they, Did you give this thing a try yourself? No, 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 no. I've never tried it. No, I've never tried it. Uh, I'd be interested to try it. And like I said, I've seen. So I've kind of looked into it a little bit, and I've seen some things on Twitter and stuff where it's like some guys that I follow that are very much in the into the you know debunking the health myth craze things. And they were looking at it as just being like, well, yeah, who knows? We don't know. Um, but it kind of makes sense, you know, because like I said, there is precedent in that, you know, you electrostimulation of the brain, you can, you know, we know the brain is electricity, it's, elect, you know, it's electrical wiring, firing, you know. So you, if you have seizures, we can put a, you know, an, an implant in there that helps sort out those electrical currents, you know. Um, so magnets, I'm not sure exactly how that works, but yeah. So maybe it is like it's like the yips is a totally curable thing. That sounds terrifying to me. It sounds like you know when you plug your cell phone in too often and you, you end up killing the battery a little too soon. <laughs> I feel like that's what that helmet would be like. <laughs> yeah, you'll like, you, be really good at this one thing for now, but by the time I'm forty, I'm just like uh, drooling what's, out what's the my side. Name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know, dude. Uh, it would be interesting, though, if you could, like, that would be the study, right? And I guess the study, too, that you would do is, like, looking at um, F fMRI, right? Like, M functional MRI images of the brain as someone's experiencing this. But I think you would really need, like, you would need, like, a before and an after. So you would have to, like, know that someone's going to get the yips, which you can never know. And then have their before images and their after images and see what's changed. But it's kind of it's kind of fascinating, and I was interested when you said that you were going to look into it, and then, yeah, it's even more interesting yeah, I, I, actually <laughs> that there's there's no there's no real answer, you know. No, all the answers are more or less what we've kind of thrown out here. We think it's obviously, I don't know, something along the lines of anxiety or neurological, like stress of some sort. But mm -hmm. no, there's <laughs> no one has any proof for anything. They have obviously. When you look up for the remedies, it's like, let's let's practice breathing. Let's yeah. do, let's calm you down. Let's, yeah, change your grip. Yeah. But again, it's, those are obviously something that if you're talking to your friend, they would just tell you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't Thanks. think there's anything deep-hearted or science there yet. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, science. <laughs> Robbie Crunch already told me that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's that's it is a fascinating one, and it is it does make sports so dramatic, you know. And I guess this is like to kind of go back to what we were talking about all before and stuff too. It's like those are the moments, right? Those are the moments in sport that make sports so great. Is the fact that some guy could get the yips at any moment, and this is why maybe we you know revere these people so much is because the greats never never get the yips, or if they do they overcome it and they persevere and they find other ways to, to win the game or whatever it is, you know? So there's so many, so many great things. But I think that's, I mean, I think that about does it for the topics that we had lined up. Do you got anything else on sport? Ooh, I got too much on sport, Brad, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, as far as, as far as getting this, uh, podcast wrapped up, I think that's more or less, what I got for you. Awesome, dude. I've got to say, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. And we will definitely do this again, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you for having me on. Sorry for all you Brad hopefuls out there that I had to kind of <laughs> come in with a different name. But hopefully I didn't let you down too bad. Or too Brad. <laughs> Not too Brad at all, my friend. Not too Brad at all. Um, all right, well, I guess this is a part of the show where the other Brad usually does a summary of what we've talked about. Uh, because he's not here, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to step on his toes. If you want the summary, go back and listen to it again, friends. You know, I'm just that kind of host. We will shout out the Twitter for the show, which is at 2 brad for you on Twitter and Instagram. See, this is Brad does this, and I'm now I'm super rusty. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at bvampairdon. Do you got, do you got something you want to shout out, Robbie? Uh, no, not right now. We are going to get something going in the future, but I'll wait till, uh, we do this again to kind of let your listeners in Ooh, on that. A nice little tease. A nice little tease. I like it. Well, awesome, dude. Uh, great chatting with you. We can do another one of these sports, or like I said, maybe we spin it off into a sports show, or maybe you have a sports show spinoff already planned. I don't know, but thank you listeners for listening. Uh, we will catch you next time on Too Brad For You. Awesome, Robbie. Check you later. Sweet. Thanks, man.
Can you hear me now? Yeah, fuck. Good. Good <laughs> God. How do you know that you can't hear me? Because you always answer before I even say anything. You're like, fuck, I can't hear you. And I'm just it's, like, I haven't said the word. Yeah, I know. It's the ring. I can't even hear the, you know, the oh, dialing the you. Doo, doo, doo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know That what scares the shit out of me every time. When it comes on? Yeah, like I know you're calling and then my, my attention span's so short. That I get sidetracked within like 10 <laughs> seconds. And then you call and I just like freak out Ooh. every time. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? No. no, 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 no. I got it. Yeah, no, okay. We're good now. We're good now. Okay, so, You're going to have to siphon through like six minutes of dead air of me not being able to talk to you. Yeah, dude, I've been recording for 20 minutes now with oh, all, okay. this <laughs> all this shit. <laughs> good luck trying to match these up then. Ah, it shouldn't be. It's not that hard. It's never that hard. <laughs> but I'm just gonna get a lot of just of myself, just going. Fuck! God damn it! You gotta be fucking kidding me. So, anyway, okay, we're rolling. We're, we're